Welcome to the Health from the Source podcast, where we're dedicated to educating people about health, ancestral nose-to-tail nutrition, regenerative agriculture, and the interplay between environment, health, and sustainability. Welcome to part two of our six-part series. On the last episode, we talked to myself, Chris interviewed me, a bit of my background, and we learned a bit about ancestral health and how that ties into the bigger picture. And at the end, we kind of mentioned a little bit about regenerative agriculture. So today we're going to dive in. I'm going to interview Chris, uh, who is the owner of Provenir, where all of our sourcing comes for Vital Origin. And we're going to learn a little bit about regenerative farming, how farming really ties into the bigger sustainability picture and how it helps improve not only animal uh, welfare, but also you know environmental perspectives of improving soil and everything else. So I'll let Chris kind of dive into that. But Welcome, Chris. Why don't you kick us off with a bit of your background and how you became a farmer in the first place? Because you've got quite a diverse background, as you said, starting with science and then moving into that. So please share with us. Um, yeah, so I, I um, came out of uh, uni and uh, with a science degree and ended up in a, at that stage, a little company called CSL, which uh, over the... <laughs> Almost 20 years that I was there, grew into um, the world's largest biopharmaceutical company um, at the moment, all came out of Australia. And uh, that was a, a wonderful uh, job, learned a lot about science, learned about a lot about the scientific methodology, um, methodology which I've always been very interested in. Um, but after 20 years and... Um, Definitely sick and tired of the corporate um, lifestyle. I became a uh, referred to myself as a corporate refugee, and <laughs> uh, went back to my little uh, 110 acre farm uh, in southern Victoria, and uh, decided that I wanted to become a farmer. Um, we'd already had the farm for 15 years, and I was like, right, this is it. I, I want to return back to nature, I want to get my hands dirty. Um, I had uh, grown to love cattle um, and uh, observed a lot around their behaviour and so forth and was just really fascinated um, about the, the farming process and um, over the, the sort of 10 years when we first bought the farm had uh, very much been instructed by uh, family and friends in the traditional um method of farming so that was very much uh you've got a couple of weeds in your paddock uh what you got to do is you got to get a sprayer spray the whole thing out with uh um, something that's going to kill everything a, a little compound called glyphosate um and so you'd spend seven thousand dollars of that um, and then you would go and buy a monoculture grass such as a, a rye or something um, you would plough all of that into the soil, turning over the, the soil when you were doing because obviously the top of the soil um, was no good and all the good stuff was on the bottom of the soil. So you want to flip the whole thing over and, um, you know, get all the good soil on top, mm. run, it, run it all through, and then sure enough, uh, all, the, all the weeds would pop up again. So then you had to put on a, uh, another spray. Uh, selectively from there and um, then you'll get uh, the cattle in to eat down the grass and because it was an annual obviously you didn't want any more weeds to come up so once the pasture had been eaten you would just spray it out again and leave it dormant for about six months um, and you know from a scientific point of view I was like this isn't really making a lot of sense 
um, and from a financial perspective, uh, particularly on 110 acres, which uh, uh, many farmers would be sitting there laughing, uh, particularly up in Queensland, they'd say that's the front paddock. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's a, it's it's still very small, but it is kind of larger, Victoria. Um, and uh, yeah, from a financial perspective, I was just going backwards completely. So I started to have uh, have a read of a couple of uh, individuals, um, namely uh, Alan Savory was was one of them who uh, is pretty much uh, considered the grandfather of uh, regenerative farming. He's a Zimbabwean um, and made some really key observations about the interactions of herbivores uh, with uh, grasslands. Um, and then I read uh, quite a bit of an American called Joel Salatin, um, which uh, he's, he's almost the rock star of uh, regenerative farming. Um, everywhere he goes, he, he pulls a very large crowd. I've met him a couple of times. Um, and he's, he's incredibly practical as well. So he, he talks about living with nature, mm. not fighting against nature. Um, yeah. which, which to me made imminent sense because uh, when it comes down to it, uh, one human versus nature, there's always <laughs> going to be a winner. Yeah. Um, and so I started reading a lot more about that and I was really intrigued about my preconceived ideas about um, you know, what was what. Um, the, I read an incredible book um, called Weeds and um, the opening was was written by Costas, who's a, a well-known uh, gardener as well. And the, the forward has always stayed with me as well because he said, who defines what a weed is? And, good question. Good question. And why do we hate weeds? Because we're told. Yep. You know, we're told that's a weed and therefore that weed is bad. Yep. Um, the the, the um, one of the weeds that people spray out is amaranth, mm. which is a, nat a natural food from the Greeks back two and a half thousand years ago and is the second highest um, nutritional fodder plant for cattle. And yet, because it's not rye, wheat or, or whatever it is, Nations. everyone was spraying it out. And it's like it is the best food for for the cattle, like if I could get a paddock full of this weed, I'd be happy because it made mm. sense. It was it was a wonderful fodder for the cattle. So I started to develop more of that, and you know, just from a um, a soul perspective, I just felt that I was doing a lot better farming than what I had done before. And the really cool part is, you let nature do all the work. Yeah. Because nature's going to do it anyway. Um, and <laughs> it's interesting, right? Because there's a few few narratives in the space where there's still an argument. I'm interested from the, the cost perspective. There's still people making the argument that regenerative farming is, is too expensive, which is funny because it, it seems when you allow the system to do its thing and you allow the ecosystems to manage themselves, then it should, it should save you a fair bit. So where do you think that, that narrative comes from? It's, I think the narrative comes from when you're in a high input traditional farming system, 
there's been many examples where people have gone, I'm going regenerative farming. They don't do any more inputs or, or um, fertilizers or pesticides, herbicides, all the rest of it. And what happens is there's a vacuum of um, infestation mm -hmm. of crickets, of weeds, of all of these things. And that's a natural part of the cycle because weeds are the early adopters. So they weeds will grow in the most distressed soils. And their function basically is to open up that soil, put the nutrients mm. back into there, and grasses will outcompete weeds every single time. And so on my farm, I haven't had any inputs. I haven't reseeded. I haven't sprayed out. I haven't done herbicides. I have just rotationally grazed for the last 15 years. And what, is, and what does that mean for people who are not familiar necessarily with that term? Because it, it's an important part of regenerative agriculture, if you could explain to people what that means. Yeah, um, good point. So rotational grazing is this concept that um, Alan Savory discovered in the first place. And this was uh, his farm backed onto the uh, Serengeti. And what he observed is that he had his... Um, cattle that backed onto the Serengeti Reserve and the ground was dead flat, hardly could grow any grass and you'd look over the fence and there in the Serengeti was tall, lush grass everywhere. And he started to say, well, you know, what's the difference? Because it's basically a fence line between mine and theirs. Now, theirs had wildebeest, they had elephants, they had a lot of large herbivores that came through. But what he noticed was they came through for very short periods of time and they ate all the grass down to about half its growth height. And then they would move on to another area. And so this high disturbance for a short period of time is really um, beneficial to grasses and the churning of the of the heavy herbivores of of soil disturbance in there, and they generally come through when it's um, after a rain. So there's been lots of grass because they follow the grass around. So wherever the the grass is good, that's where they'll go. Um, and so that disturbance of the soil actually um, regenerated the soil microbes as opposed to his cattle that were constantly on the land, always walking around and um, eating the grass down to such a low point that um, the regrowth rate is actually proportional to the height. Mm. So um, that's MLA or Men Livestock Australia, we've got a lot of information on this, is that if the grass is above, and it depends on the grass, but roughly seven centimetres, the growth rate to 15 centimetres is a tenth of the time hmm. if the grass is only two centimetres. So that first growth is really, really slow. I didn't know that. But the second part of the growth is higher. And the root depth is directly proportional to the height of the grass. So what 
regenerative farming really is focused on is as opposed to sustainable farming is sustainable farming sustains the farm so it keeps the status quo which is great if you've got a wonderful farm <laughs> but if you've got a screwed farm you're just sustaining a screwed farm right. so regenerative farming is actually about regenerating and improving the land um, in the process so regenerative farmers are actually focused more on the soil and the ecosystem and the herbivores whether that's sheep or cattle um, goats are just a tool mm. to actually improving the land yeah and i think this is something that people don't realize again a lot of the the narrative is very service level like meat bad eliminate cattle and and they don't go into the nuance because often a lot of people have never been on a farm they don't understand ecosystems they don't understand how biology functions and so they don't know the importance of the soil the of the microbes in the soil of how you know specific keystone species like herbivores and ruminants play a role and how their natural grazing all all plays a major factor into as you said regenerating the land and there's even some amazing examples now of areas and, and this is happening a lot in the states at the moment where there's a lot of uh, desertification of a lot of areas because they basically just completely destroyed the area through monocropping and not good land management so they've mm -hmm. completely destroyed the topsoil there's no more nutrients all the grasses have very shallow roots so the water runs right out and there's all these issues and people don't consider that a lot of the foods we're trying to shift to now that require a lot of these mass industrialized monocrops are completely destroying the soil and without ruminants grazing and pasturing on that land how do we how do we regenerate the soil especially if you're you know you don't want to use synthetic fertilizers because now we're running out of phosphorus and we're running out of you know some of these compounds which we need to make fertilizer which are also from a, a sustainability and an environmental perspective like the industrial processing of those those products are, are pretty bad when all you could do is put some ruminants and some herbivores to go on that land and just go eat some of the grass poop on it put some nitrogen back in and and there you go so it yeah i find it difficult that's, that's that's the really cool thing about regenerative farming is you let nature do the work exactly you just work within the nature cycles and and you know it's not a, a magic wand so everyone goes i tried regenerative farming for three years and it didn't work well were you <laughs> drought were you in flood you know there's all these environmental overlays that always happen in in any um, farm or environment but what it is is you set the basis of returning back to what the natural ecosystem is because right. you know the world wasn't filled of deserts yeah before fact, we started the agricultural revolution it's it's one of the, the interesting things the, there's numbers on the amount of bison that used to graze across the americas and so you know the the again the narrative of the beef are farting and creating too many greenhouse gases but actually if you compare the amount of cattle that we have now compared to the amount of bison that we used to have it's actually not even close there used to be millions and millions of bison that were, were roaming so it's always interesting to, to look at how nature naturally had a lot of these ecosystems 
before. And, and I like how it ties into our ancestral health talk we were talking about before, right? It's, it's getting back to nature, getting back to our normal ways of being and looking at how biology functions and how can we tie in our modern approaches with the science and technology we have now? How do we leverage those things and bring them together to live with nature, with the amazing tools that we have today? There is a, um, for me and, and the study that I've done and also just my lived history is there is an undeniable link between humanity, ruminants and soil health. It, it's the, Absolutely. The, the, all of them are completely linked together. And if we screw with that, you know, every each one of those key elements actually fall down. And so, you know, I've I've had many discussions um, with vegans. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of um, processing cattle, which we'll get onto a little bit. Um, and they're like, you know, we shouldn't kill any animals. And it's like, well, if the ruminants aren't consumed and then we don't have enough ruminants, the grass is going to die. And if the grasses die, the soil is going to acidify and, you know, the whole thing falls over. There is just a natural balance between carnivores, ruminants, grasses and soil health. Absolutely. Um, and and that, that's the biggest, um, I guess, protein cycle, which is what humans are absolutely trapped in, um, <laughs> being, being protein. Um, yeah, so, so that, that I always found really fascinating. Um, the more that I read and um, the, the fact that I'd studied science and technology for 20 years, um, and particularly in the biological space, I came to learn that there is far more that we don't know than what we do know. Absolutely. Which yep. is, is this where science is. But, you know, the assumption of science is we know everything and we're just, you know, really so clever because we just learn the next thing. All yep. of that exists around us all the time. We just don't know it until we develop the technologies to understand it. It doesn't mean that, you know, these things didn't exist beforehand. Yeah, it's a classic sort of hubris, I think, of, of our species, unfortunately, where we think we know many things. And there's a, a good uh, engineering analogy that a lot of people use. It's the aspect of a complicated system versus a complex system. And so we tend to look at things as complicated, which can be reduced to something. So our reductionist scientific approach often works really well, but biology and ecosystems are infinitely complex. Yeah. And so there's so many interactions that it's almost impossible to really know that complete effects. And this is where I worry about the direction we're going now, where we think we can, you know, out engineer our way out of our food systems and remove ecosystems, things like, you know, lab meats and these artificial meats that I don't know if they're food or what they are, but they were definitely going down a, a different, different range. And I'm sure we can go into a bit of a rabbit hole with that, but you mentioned Great. obviously ear farm and, and Provenir. I'd love to talk about that because Provenir, which is your company is obviously doing some phenomenal work in the space of um, not only meat, but supplying what we do as well. So why don't you share a little bit about um, Provenir and, and what they've done and some of you know the, the first in the space of the stuff that you've brought to market. Yeah. So, um, Provenir is Australia's um, first and currently only uh, operating commercial mobile abattoir. So uh, what we say quite simply, instead of the animals going to the abattoir, the abattoir goes to the animals. 
Um, there's a um, a lot of animal welfare considerations that go into that. So um, coming to the conclusion that um, we are carnivores and that we will eat ruminants, um, once there is an acceptance of that fact, then the next stage of animal welfare is, okay, if we are going to consume and process these animals, how do we do that the best way possible? So for myself, um, having lived on the farm, I had um, consumed my own cattle um, and had tasted the difference um, of home-slaughtered meat. Um, and at the time, I just thought that I was producing the world's best beef. And lucky <laughs> me, um, which I, I discovered afterwards, it wasn't. It was um, the, the fact of removing stress from the animal actually has a really positive impact to the meat quality uh, from there. So um, we got into uh, what what's called a uh, startup incubator. So basically these are programs where people have an idea and um, other rich people, if they think it's a good enough idea, they back it and they start you off as a startup company. So we went into um, went into that. We won a couple of awards in that. And the whole concept was um, we wanted to produce Australia's best beef. And for us to do that, it was through a mobile abattoir. So we take the stress out of the animal. The animal never has to go on the back of a live transport truck, never has to go to a sale yard, never has to be transported again to an abattoir, never has to go into lairage or the holding pens um, before that, which are quite noisy and, and have artificial light the whole time. Um, and so if we can remove that part of the process, then I think we're rewarded with a, a vastly superior product and it actually marries into the um, welfare aspects that, you know, animal born on the farm, raised on the farm, processed on the farm, never has to, you know, move beyond the farm, which is um, the natural place for the animals to be. Um, took uh, probably 18 months to get the um, idea off the ground. Uh, we had some wonderful people support us along the way and, um, we got several grants from uh, Meat and Livestock Australia, um, which have been a wonderful supporter of innovation in the red meat industry. Um, and then we had some uh, sort of key individuals that, um, like, uh, what's the expression? Um, the, uh, the teacher comes when the student is ready. Um, and so one of those people <clears throat> was a, an individual called Theo Hanarchus. Um, who was a, a very experienced um, businessman um, and just loved the idea and the passion that we had behind what we were doing. And he got heavily involved um, in the business and, and gave us a lot of the guidance to, to turn uh, what we thought was a great idea into a great business as well. So um, Provenir, jump forward now. Um, Provenir has been operating for five years. Um, we process on um, farms across Victoria and New South Wales for the um, each week um, of every year and um, we process probably around about a thousand maybe a little bit more head of cattle per annum from there and then um, we sell that through uh, various retail 
options from there. So the, the story of Provenir was um, definitely uh, one of um, struggle and hardship. So when we, yeah, well, yeah, as they say, it uh, takes takes five years to be an overnight success. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we're, we're, we're probably not too far off from uh, hopefully being an overnight success. Um, and uh, we even had to go to the fact of um, changing the laws in Victoria to actually operate. So, um, you know, all the people who backed us and invested with us, you know, a big, big thank you to those who um, basically said, uh, yeah, love the idea. Yeah, yeah, you just got to go and change the laws. Um, you, guys, <laughs> yeah. you guys go and Easy. do that. Easy. You guys go and do that, and then uh, then <laughs> get into the business of um, you know providing an alternative to the um, red meat supply chain. Um, and we um, exclusively work with regenerative farmers, so the whole value proposition that we have for our customers is to truly know where their food comes from which is, um, you know, the red meat industry is quite an opaque um, industry. Uh, you know, people might say that, you know, I love uh, Cape Grim because it comes from the, the north of Tasmania. Uh, a proportion does, um, not all of it, not most of it. Um, so we wanted to bring some real traceability into that. So we developed a software that um, each piece of meat goes out with a little QR code on it. And then um, consumers can use their phone, scan that, and it'll actually link back to the story of the farm that we've been on. So we process on, on probably 75 different farms so far now. Um, and, and many of them, we, we have really deep relationships with the farmers because we're basically staying in their farm stay or, or wherever it is. We know their kids, we know their dogs. Um, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's quite a, a a beautiful relationship that you develop with the farmers who care so much for the cattle that they have and you can really see the care that they um, put to the land so mm, what, i think that's 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 another that's another thing where i think people ha often have the wrong image of farmers especially people in the cattle and meat industry they think that they don't care about their animals and they're just slaughtering them but often as you said, when you actually meet these farmers, they take the utmost care of their animals and, and they really treat them amazingly. And they have fantastic lives, especially in that regenerative source, living on pasture. There's, there's often a bit of yeah, a strange view from that perspective. So it's nice to hear from someone who spends their time there of how well these animals are treated and taken care of. Yeah, so these these farmers, and I would say the vast majority of farmers as well, have a connection with the um, animals that over years becomes really deep. You know, you talk to them and they'll go, oh, that's 52. She's going to be really shy. She'll stand around the back, but she's a great mother and she'll she'll co-mother 46's uh, child as well because she actually had a bit of mastitis. And, you know, this isn't a herd of hundreds of cattle mm -hmm. and they will individually know each 
one and yeah. then they'll go and that's the road bull that actually just jumps over all the fences <laughs> all the time nuts. yeah there's much um, more of a connection to land overall it's something that you know, as we moved into cities we've, we've really lost touch of we we've forgotten where our food comes from we've forgotten we used to be a part of the land and we're part of the ecosystem there's a lot of things i feel like we've we've forgotten now moving away from being connected to to animals and to land and i think that is something that has evolved um farmers have always had a strong connection to the land you know that's that's where they get their livelihood from um but i think science and um poor science has actually led to the um to a lot of the problems that we have with the land with the um artificial soup um fertilizers with a lot of the pesticides and herbicides you know they they did really limited studies does mm. this work does it kill a grass yeah great you know what's the bioaccumulation of it what is the um, bioaccumulation into the food chain of it none of that was done yeah short-term thinking often correct okay you got weeds here's here's your solution you know a bit of snake oil and and so forth and you know <laughs> then then often within the farming um, community you're looking at what bob's doing or oh, bob's using that i better get some of that as well group think and then, it, then it goes there so that kind of thinking you know regenerative farming just in the last like seven years I've, 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 i actually started regenerative farming even before i knew what regenerative farming was it just <laughs> was probably just a bit of a tight ass and couldn't afford all the different chemicals <laughs> and, and just thought, well, here's an experiment. Let's see what nature does. Um, yeah, and and at the start, and I can remember uh, probably six years ago, you know, people were saying, what's going on? You haven't sprayed out your paddocks. And I was like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, oh, you'll have too many weeds. It's not fair. You're going to have, you know, and it's like, well, I kind of think that the weeds have a purpose. And mm -hmm. and they have a role in nature. To, oh yeah, so you know, right now there's there's fabulous organisations. There's farmers for soils. Like, you know, it's it's getting a bit of a groundswell, which is great yeah. from there. Um, and now I think the story needs to evolve to okay, how do we support as consumers in the city? How do we support the farmers that are doing the right thing by the land? Because the fact is that Australian farmers own way more land than all the city dwellers put together. <laughs> far more. Far, so far if more. you look at it at that perspective, but as you know, there's far more city dwellers than there are farmers, and the farmers produce the food for the city dwellers. How do we? create a transparency so those that do care about it and live in the city can support the farmers that they know are doing the right thing by the land yeah and that's where it's amazing you have that aspect of transparency and actually traceability and being able to follow where everything is coming from i think through education hopefully we start to spread you know the good word more and more and people obviously drive things through their pockets and I think the more people become aware and, you know, you might have to spend a little extra, but if you care about sustainability, like a lot of people say they do, you really need to start considering where your food comes from and where your meat comes from and start to support more regenerative farms. 
So I think we're, we're starting to see a shift. It's nice to hear that uh, from your side, you see that as well. It's always tough because when you're, you're in it, you know, you're sort of in an echo chamber. So I hope that, that it is getting bigger and I am seeing more changes. So I pray that more people come around to regenerative farming and thankfully, depending on where you're at, if you're an investor, not so thankfully, but a lot of the plant-based foods and, and things like that are, are sort of not being successful because I think in the long run, it's not going to be something that can be sustained for our population over the long run if we're not in alignment with nature. So eventually we'll come back to that. Cows, cows will save the world. I agree. Absolutely. So and- how the cows are raised is vitally important, okay. but they, they are the ones that will eat the grass. Absolutely. That's we, need. we need the yep. grass to grow and be eaten. It's not the cow, it's the how, is a saying from Sacred yes. Cow. Yes. <laughs> and uh, people will do better when they know better. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been excellent to learn more about regenerative farming and what you do. And obviously, Provenir being a partner with Vital Origin, we're, we're very thankful and lucky to be able to have really Australia's most ethical and some of the best products really in Australia. So we're very proud of that. And we hope to share that with more and more people. And obviously, as we go through this series in the coming episodes, we'll talk a little bit more about the nutritional components and specific products that we do have with Vital Origin. I'm keen to learn a lot more about that, Richard. Excellent. Well, we'll chat soon. Okay. Thanks, mate. See you, Chris. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you're looking to add in nature's most nutrient-dense foods back into your diet, be sure to check out vitalorigin.com.au and use coupon SOURCE10 at checkout for an extra 10% off. We'll see you guys on the next episode.